Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And this week what I'll be doing, I'll be reviewing Stranger Things Chapter 7. So welcome back everybody. Uh, It has been a while. It's been uh, about three weeks, maybe more at this point. I, I I was on a little bit of a roll there towards the end of the summer. But uh, but as I had stated in the spring, uh, life has, has gotten pretty busy, and so uh, weekly episodes are no longer a guarantee. But I have a couple hours carved out of my day today where I, I just really want to get uh, this episode and hopefully the review of episode 8 done so I can get that out to, to all of you. And... Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about what to expect going forward. So if I sound a little bit quiet right now, it's because my daughter is currently sleeping and I don't want to wake her. So that's why I have a couple hours carved out right now. So for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Stephen King cast, everybody. Welcome. I, I, I hope that you enjoy your stay. Uh, so you might be a little bit confused why I am uh, hosting something called the Stephen King cast and uh, discussing Stranger Things. Well, to to begin, the Stephen King cast was designed to be just my journey through Stephen King's works in the chronological order of publication, um, and I accomplished that uh, with a with a just uh, with the exception of a, a handful of of uh, of some books, um, the Colorado Kid, Blaze, um, and some some novellas and some short stories. I, I have pretty much gone through the entirety of Stephen King's works. And then now, I, I just, I enjoy doing the podcast. I love, uh, you know, I love all the emails and um, the feedback from, from everyone. So it's not something that I want to give up. And because this summer saw the release of Netflix's Stranger Things, which is clearly influenced and inspired by Stephen King, it would be remiss of me if I did not discuss uh, Stranger Things. So that is why we are talking about Stranger Things. And if you haven't listened, listened, if you haven't watched Stranger Things, you're, you're really doing yourself a disservice. It's a fantastic show. And anyone that is tuning in, listening to a podcast entitled The Stephen King Cast, I think that you'll definitely get a lot out of Netflix's Stranger Things created by the Duffer Brothers. So that's that. Uh, but before I begin, I want to shamelessly plug my own stuff. Uh, so I, I've gotten some emails um, lately from from people, and uh, you know, letting me know that they that they've checked out some of my stories, and I just I I, I just really appreciate it. And um, longtime listener of the show, uh, Bryant, uh, had uh, given me an incredible write up on on his blog. Um, about the podcast, but also he sought out all of the short stories and reviewed each of them, which was such a mind trip uh, for me because I, uh, you know, Bryant did for me what I've been doing for for Stephen King on the Stephen King cast. So that that was that was crazy, and he had um, he was way too generous in his praise. He was way too nice, but Bryant, I, I really appreciate it. Um, the, the, if anyone is interested in heading over to Bryant's, um, blog, you can find it at, uh, the truth inside the lie dot blogspot dot ca and, and you'll be able to, to, 
to, to hear Bryant's thoughts. So Bryant, again, thank you. So for those of you who are interested in in reading some of my stuff, I have some options for you. I've been I've been fortunate enough that this past year has seen um, a handful of my short stories published, uh, with hopefully some some more on the way. The the latest uh, can be found. I'm recording this on Sunday, uh, September 25th. Uh, so I believe this Tuesday, the 27th. Inkstains Press will release, or Vagabondage Press, which is an awesome, awesome name for a, a press, will be releasing uh, the second volume, I believe, of uh, Inkstains, a collection of short stories, which will include my short story, Spouse Swap, um, which which examines um, the, uh, the, the blurred line between reality uh, and unreality of, of reality television. Uh, you can find in the pages of Skeptics Must Die, story of two bumbling ghost hunters as they uh, investigate a, a mansion that supposedly has a haunted portrait. Up next, we have in the Trists of Fate magazine, or not magazine, but publication, uh, Forget Me Not, which is an existential examination of breakups and, um, you know, just identity when you are uh, in a relationship with one another. We have Hopscotch, found in the pages of Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Witch Tales, which is a story of a, of a young girl, 13 years old, who's really a brat. And she decides to be a brat to the wrong person. We have This World Will Eat You All the Way Up, found in Nine Tales Told in the Dark. This World Will Eat You All the Way Up follows the story of two college friends who go on a road trip. And what is unspoken um, winds up bubbling over. And then lastly, we have Room 207, found in the pages of Dark Moon Digest, issue number 22. Room 207 revolves around a man driving down to the south um, to meet his wife for a funeral, and he just happens to stop at the wrong motel. All right, guys, so if you were to do it uh, an internet search on Amazon for any of those, they'll pop up, and it would be greatly appreciated. I think that you'll enjoy them. So up next we have a listener email. So guys, I, I know that uh, I know that you know that I love getting listener emails. So keep those emails coming. And we have one from Aaron who writes, "Hello. First, let me thank you for your wonderful podcast. I just discovered it last week, and I've been working my way through the old shows. I've finished the revival review and just started the Gunslinger show. I've been really enjoying the show and listened to at least one episode at work each night." I first started reading Stephen King in the very early 80s. I was 10 in 1982 and was able to read everything as it came out after, let's say, Firestarter, as long as the library could get it for me. My dad was blind and so absorbed a lot of King, along with a lot of Mickey Spillane, Louis L'Amour, and Raymond Chandler by listening to dad's tapes and records from the National Library Service for the Blind's Talking Book Program. Dad and Mom are gone now, but I still have... Um, more of a good book and for King. So thank you for bringing an old man now in his 40s some very fond memories. As someone who is almost as big a fan of Lovecraft and his Cthulhu mythos as I am of King, I was glad that you caught the mention of Divermis Mysterious in Night Shift and Revival. This terrible tome, however, is an invention of Mr. King. It is just something he borrowed from psycho author Robert Block. Block was an original member of the Lovecraft Circle, a group of young writers who were inspired by and corresponded with Lovecraft. 
H.P. Lovecraft encouraged friends to make up their own additions to his mythos, and most of the fledgling authors contributed to their own ancient gods and their own blasphemous books to sit alongside Lovecraft's Necronomicon. Clark Ashton Smith created the Book of Iban. Conan author Robert E. Howard gave us, um, I'm not even going to try speaking that, but it's translated into nameless cults. And Robert Block contributed The Mysteries of the Worm. In fact, a collection of all of Block's mythos work, excluding the novel Strange Eons, has recently been released under the same name. I see that you are not going to cover Dance Macabre. Why, I can totally understand why you wouldn't. I wish maybe you would reconsider talking about it now that you are caught up with King's current books. I ask this, of, of course, for purely selfish reasons. I would have to say that Dance Macabre might just be the most important book I have ever read. Through that book, Stephen King, ever the teacher, was able to introduce little preteen me to most of the writers I enjoy today. Without Dance Macabre, I might never have heard of Lovecraft, Howard, Bradbury, Shirley Jackson, Ira Levin, Richard Matheson, James Herbert, Ramsey Campbell, Fritz Lieber, and even John Saul, who he doesn't really have anything good to say about. Yes, Dance Macabre was a very pivotal book in my literary development. Well, I've rambled enough. I'll let you go. I'm looking forward to listening to more of your great show. I haven't gotten to your coverage of the Bill Hodges books yet, but as I enjoyed them, it might be the first time we have wildly differing opinions on something. I did enjoy Cujo more than you. Then again, I was like 11 or so. Have a great day, Aaron. Aaron, thank you for writing in. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I think that I might be somewhat in the minority on the, the Mercedes trilogy. Um, so for anyone that, that hasn't done so, I strongly recommend that you also listen to the Stephen King podcast, which is hosted by Hans and Lou. Hans, for, for those of you who don't know, runs uh, Lilia's Library, which has been for over 20 years now the, the, the hub of, of Stephen King news. So a lot of um, news stories come from uh, Lilia's Library, and all of the news winds up getting collected in Lilia's Library. So if you are a Stephen King fan, chances are you have probably frequented Lilia's library at, at some point, and uh, he and uh, Lou, um, they they run a uh, the Stephen King cast. I'm sorry, <laughs> the Stephen King podcast, a, a podcast all things Stephen King. And I was, um, I was uh, I was fortunate enough to to actually be a guest on their show last month, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And and we talk about all the Dark Tower news, and we talked about it, and. You know, we, we discussed uh, the, the latest book in, in the Mercedes trilogy, um, End of Watch. So, guys, if, if you want to, um, you know, kind of hear me banter with some other Stephen King fans, head on over to the, the Stephen King podcast. And, you know, that's definitely a podcast that you should have in your, in your feed, especially now that I am uh, recording these podcasts so infrequently now. And, you know, once upon a time, you know, with the Stephen King cast, you would get one to two podcasts a week um which was you know pretty awesome but now now if you get if we get two podcasts a month um i'm feeling pretty good about myself so if you're going through stephen king withdrawals you should definitely check out the stephen king podcast um and there's others out there now um there's there's definitely there's no shortage of stephen king podcasts that that are that are up and about um i was just listening to the the, the latest episode of the the cotet cast 
which kind of popped up. Um, I believe it, it came out that they they started the same month, um, of the same year that that I did. So the two of us, or the, the the two pod, my podcast and their podcast, they uh, we were definitely drinking from the same well um, by by launching in. Um, so I mean, there's definitely podcasts out there if you if you haven't. Uh, if you have finished with this podcast and you kind of want to see what what else there is, there's definitely some options for you. And Aaron, by the way, thank you again for for writing in. I I, I really appreciate the um, clarification uh, around the, the the mysteries of the worm. Uh, I I had written back to Aaron, but I I I never would have known that if if he hadn't pointed that out. And I just love the idea of these these writers circles that kind of get together um, and and write much in the way that. Uh, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were, were part of a writer's circle, um, you know, and Stephen King, not necessarily part of a writer's circle, but, you know, he, uh, you know, he and, and Peter Straub have, you know, have their friendship and, and, and their uh, professional collaboration. And, and hopefully, speaking of that, they are, I hope the two of them are, are currently working on The Talisman 3 because that is a story that I cannot wait for. Okay, so kind of keeping with the talisman, um, there, which had briefly crossed over into the world of the Dark Tower, that's a pretty good segue for me to kind of touch upon a little bit of, of some recent news, some recent Dark Tower news. As we know, oof, it is uh, we are now almost in October, and at the end of October at EW's Pop Fest, they will be um, releasing the, the first footage from, from the Dark Tower, and I cannot wait to see what that looks like. And uh, for, for those of you who have been following closely um, through all of the twists and turns and, and false starts and, and broken hearts uh, of, of the Dark Tower's journey from the page to the big screen, um, you'll know that uh, you know around 2008, 2009, 2010 maybe, uh, Ron Howard was, was the guy who was going to get this done and Ron Howard had a very ambitious plan of um, having, uh, you know, three movies, three big, you know, big budget movies, and then um, television shows that would fit in between each of the movies to tell the, the complete story. And because Ron Howard is still a producer um, on this movie, there had been a question as to whether or not the 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 creative team behind the Dark Tower were still going to pursue that idea of a supplementary television show that would fill in the cracks in the backstory of Roland the Gunslinger. And this past week on Stephen King's birthday, happy birthday, Stephen King, um, it was revealed that, yes, they are going forward with their television show plan. So as of right now, what we know is that there will be a 10 to 13 episode television show telling the the origin story of Roland um, from what the the um, Anthony Brez. Bresnian, Bresnican, I can't remember, I can't remember his name, but the man does incredible work. He's been covering Stephen King like a boss um, this summer between the Dark Tower and the, the filming of It. But uh, 
again, uh, he had um, written uh, this particular scoop stating that the, the, the television show is happening and one of the producers has been quoted as saying that um, he understands that uh, there had been a lot of outcry with the significant changes to the narrative for the movie, but the television show would adhere a little bit closer to what we saw from Wizard in Glass. So we've got that. So um, I imagine that the, 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 the flashback scenes from the Gunslinger, when Roland has his uh, test of, of manhood against Court and the manipulation um, by Martin, I, I believe that we're going to see all of that. And uh, you know, then, then, of course, the, the Mayhees storyline. I don't know. I don't know how far we're going to get into it. I don't know if it's going to just be one and done or if it's going to open up to, to further seasons because, as we all know, we never saw what happened at the Battle of Jericho Hill. Not not in full. Um, and, and it would be kind of interesting to see the, the fall of Gilead be, be enacted in an audiovisual medium. Um, so I'm excited about that. And because, because we do know, based on all the interviews, that the Man in Black is very much a more traditional villain, um, and he is the object of, of Roland's quest, not the Dark Tower, but he is seeking the Man in Black for revenge, and the Man in Black is responsible for what has happened to Roland's world. I wouldn't be hard to imagine that, that Matthew McConaughey will be showing up um, on this television show, which would be phenomenal, even if Idris Elba can't. Um, at least not in flashback sequences, but there's nothing to say that um, that whatever actor that they get to, to play uh, young Roland won't be squaring off against Matthew McConaughey, right? So it'll be fun to have um, a a Martin Broadcloak and and Walter. Um, they just can't call him Flag, but it, it'll be great to have Walter. And I wouldn't be surprised if they got rid of, of Martin Broadcloak, the alias Martin Broadcloak, and it is just Walter. Um, because at this point, like, who cares? You know, just have him be one character and have him be this mischievous um, manipulator and, and ruiner of worlds. And it, it to know that he is responsible for the Roland's current state of existence, yeah, have him be um, a forceful player in, in these flashbacks. I'm totally fine with, with any changes that, that they make in order to sort of beef up the, the Walter character and... Um, add a little bit more tragedy to uh, to Roland's backstory, which we know is full of tragedy. So I'm very excited about that. That's great news. In other news, um, they've finished uh, production um, or filming on 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 it. Uh, so who knows when we're going to be getting a, a trailer for that? And so I know that I said that you know the, the these episodes will are are not as uh, consistent as they had been when I was full on in my Stephen King reread, but uh, I will say this: it will be October at the end of the week that this episode comes out. So we're about four weeks away from uh, the first footage of the Dark Tower, and I'm sure there there'll be some some kind of news stories popping up around then, leading into. Uh, that first uh, footage, but whatever happens, please understand that I will be talking about that trailer or that footage whenever it hits. So stay tuned to the Stephen King cast because I definitely can't wait to uh, talk about that. Okay, so now what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the Wikipedia summary for episode 7 of Stranger Things and then uh, head into to my thoughts. So, 
Wikipedia. Lucas warns Mike, via walkie-talkie, that government agents are en route. Mike, Dustin, and L flee the house and narrowly escape with Lucas, with L telekinetically flipping a van. At their junkyard base, Lucas reconciles with Mike and L. Joyce and Hopper find Jonathan with Nancy at the station, and Jonathan reveals his knowledge about the creature to his mother. The group contacts Mike and his friends, and they rendezvous with him at the junkyard, formulating a plan to make a sensory deprivation tank to amplify Elle's powers so she can search for Will and Barbara. They break into the middle school and construct the tank in the gym. With Joyce's help, Elle successfully enters the Upside Down to find Barbara dead and Will alive, hiding in the Upside Down, Castle Byers, his fort. Hopper and Joyce attempt to break into Hawkins' laboratory to save Will, but are apprehended by security guards. Nancy and Jonathan resolve to kill the monster and steal their hunting gear back from the police station in the Upside Down. The monster breaks into the fort where Will is hiding hiding so my review back in mike's house he helps clean l up they share a nice tender little moment where they're about to share a kiss interrupted by dustin who lets them know that lucas is on on the walkie-talkie they can't quite make him out but he's racing through the streets warning them about the bad men coming for them Looking out the window, Mike and Dustin spot a Hawkins power and energy van. Mike interrupts his mom, who's on the phone with Steve's parents, to see if anyone is here to uh, do repairs to the house. Dustin continue, continues to look out as more and more trucks show up. What I love about this scene is that if you want to look at it through Karen's perspective, the heightened drama of her son and Dustin is really just kids being kids. Yes, in their reality, they actually do have the government chasing them, but for all intents and purposes, these kids could just be playing, swept up in their imaginations. The kids flee the house, and as they leave, they have a face-off. Sorry, guys. They have a face-off with Brenner and his men. The chase is on. The kids race through the streets, and having the advantage of being on bikes, they're able to cut through other people's lawns. They meet up with Lucas, and they're about to get boxed in by the vans when L gives us the biggest holy shit moment of the series. Guys, that van flip. That van flip, guys, it is so awesome. It is it's probably the 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 best, you know, like cool moment of the show. It's that that I probably the best fist pump moment. Um, that that has come from the, the the eight episodes so far, awesome, awesome. The kids head back to uh, the junkyard to hole up for a while, and given the opportunity, Lucas kneels down and apologizes to L. Great moment, great moment between the two of them, and then for Mike and Lucas to heal their wounds. The scene focuses on them shaking hands. The quartet is back together, them against the world, and boom credits while i have this fresh on my brain i don't know if i've talked about this yet but um netflix finally uh revealed that yes officially they will be doing stranger things season two and the biggest no shit uh announcement of the year uh but they the way that they they covered this uh it was very very clever um you know they they they, they had the music um and they, they they showed the you know what we think at first is the the opening credits except it's spelling out season two and they're revealing the the names of of each of the the episodes and uh we're gonna have new characters coming in so i'm very excited about that but one thing that i really hope comes from the second season is more interaction between lucas and l uh to 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 give them 
a strong friendship that I think that would really differ from the friendship that Elle has with with Mike because of the animosity that Lucas had once had for Elle. So if the two of them kind of become BFFs, I think that would be good for both of their characters. Joyce and Hopper, meanwhile, arrive at the police station, and they're forced to discuss the contents of their expedition to the, the hunting store in Jonathan's trunk. Poor Ted Wheeler answers the door as the Hawkins Lab people um, ring incessantly. He's so put out by having to answer the door, it's totally in keeping with his passionless persona. Meanwhile, Karen discovers that her other child has been keeping secrets from her as well. Between finding the bedroll in Nancy's bedroom and the hair from Eleven's wig in Mike's Batcave, I'm sure she's really to put all of her eggs in Holly's basket and just hope for the best. The Hawkins officials scour the Wheeler house to find anything that will help them discover Eleven. At the kitchen table, Ted continues, continues his cluelessness, shrugging off the idea of Mike with a girl. Karen at least shows an appropriate response by having her house invaded by these people. Brenner takes a different approach, and with his soothing tones, he convinces Karen to help them. Now, I love how quietly he plays this part. He's like a snake whisperer. In the junkyard, junkyard, Lucas fills them in on what he has discovered at the Hawkins lab. Things begin to escalate as they spot a helicopter coming over the horizon. They hide their bikes out of sight and barricade themselves in an empty bus. Now, I really hope they revisit this setting in season two. It's so distinct. I love the idea if this turns into their hideout. At the police station, our quartet starts to draw even closer as Hop and Joyce join forces with Jonathan and Nancy. And Hop has to defuse a situation involving Troy and his mother. They're there to file a police report, and Mom is not happy with Hop's deputies. Again, I love, love this goofy deputy pairing. Troy, best name, gives some information, and Hop realizes that the kid is describing Eleven. And there's a major King shout-out as Troy refers to the kids that she hangs out with as losers. And that has to be intentional on the part of the Duffer brothers. We check in with Steve, who's finally had enough of his goons. He calls them out on their bullshit, sarcasm, and their mean-spiritedness. The guy, um, the friend, I, um, what, what is his name? What is his name? I, I can't remember. Um, oh, it's going to kill me. I, I can't remember his name, but he, he, he doesn't take this well. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he becomes like a straight-up antagonist in season two for Steve and Nancy. And this, this scene, by the way, this is where Steve begins his turn. He's had his, uh, you know, come to Jesus moment when he had the crap kicked out of him in the previous episode. And then he realizes that he deserved, you know, that he deserved what happened to him. Hop, Joyce, and Nancy and Jonathan head to the buyer's home to get a hold of Mike by using Will's walkie-talkie. The kids aren't sure if they should respond, feeling they're going to get stabbed in the back like the rebels did by Lando Calrissian. After much deliberation, Mike Desinda decides to respond to the chief. Steve continues his good guy turn by literally cleaning up his mess, wiping the graffiti off the movie theater sign. Ted continues his cluelessness by dismissing his wife's concern that Nancy is mixed up in all of this. The moral of the story is to do the opposite of everything that Ted says. Just pull a George Costanza the way that George Costanza had 
you know, decided that he was going to be successful by doing the exact opposite of what he always did. And I think that the moral of this story is if you just take that Costanza philosophy and apply it to Ted Wheeler, then you're doing the right thing. In the junkyard, the Hawkins agents, looking just like the goons in Firestarter, looks great, arrive and begin to scour the place for the kids. One of them spots the bikes underneath the bus and is about to board the bus to get to the kids when he's knocked out by Hopper. Hopper takes out the others, boards the bus in his big hero moment and gets the kids out of there. Mike, Dustin, Lucas, Eleven, Hopper, Nancy, Joyce, Jonathan. This is it. This is the moment. The Katet is finally fully formed. There is a great shot of the characters coming together in the headlights outside of the buyer's house. The kids fill in the adults on what has been going on, and Hopper reveals that he has seen the gate that they're discussing. Elle uses her powers on the walkie-talkie to communicate to the upside down. She tries, but she can't find Will. Though Nancy asks about Barb, she doesn't seem very hard to try very hard to find her. With her not being powerful enough to amplify the walkie-talkie, she knows that her only hope is to use a sensory deprivation tank, which prompts the boys to contact the real hero of the show, Mr. Clark, on how to create a makeshift tank. This guy's on a date and geeking out at the technical wizardry of John Carpenter's The Thing. I should say he's actually uh, geeking out on Rob Boutin's special effects. The conversation between Dustin and Mr. Clark leads to Dustin's line of the week when he says, Why are you keeping this curiosity door locked? Clark gives them the information they need in order to build a sensory deprivation tank, which brings them to the school where they'll need to use the salt actually used for icing the, uh, during snow days. It's so fitting that the show has a climactic scene in the school. And by the way, Mr. Clark, I love how he functions um, in this show, what Google would function um, within a show and set in 2016. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a child trying to sleep next door and this podcast needs to get recorded. So just, just, just bear with me, okay? Um, all right. Uh, so it's good to see Nancy and Mike interacting here. Sonny, don't succumb to peer pressure. Maybe. Uh, sorry, guys. I, for those of you who love the, the pugs in the background, well, this is, this is definitely a treat for you. I don't know if it's a treat for everyone else, but, uh, but let's, just, let's just say that the dogs are saying hi. So between uh, their interaction, Nancy and Mike, uh, Joyce and Eleven's interaction, Jonathan and, and Hop's interaction, it's, just, it's fresh to see these characters bouncing off of, of different pairings than, than we've been accustomed to um, for the, the, the previous episodes. I mean, we've gotten used to not uh, Jonathan and Nancy and Jonathan and Joyce and Joyce and Hop and the kids with Eleven, and, and this variation is something that we're going to see need to see more of in Season 2 if this show is going to stay fresh. The team works together to get the right water-to-salt ratio for the sensory deprivation tank experiment. When it's time, maybe, when it's time, Eleven bravely steps into the makeshift isolation chamber to find Will and Barb. What I like about Eleven's use of power is that it's it's treated like like sci-fi, like a sci-fi seance. So, you know, so rather than conjuring ghosts and summoning spirits, she's communicating with extraterrestrial life forms. Well, guys, um, Eleven finds Barb, and it's pretty bad. Barb is dead, badly dead. 
gooed up with just gooey, gluey, alienish, gunky slime. And then to just really punctuate, you know, any question whether or not she's dead, we see uh, some sort of gross slug just slide out of her mouth. We're going to see more of these slugs later, and this newest addition to the show's mythology will certainly play a large part of the show next season. With Barb out of the way, Eleven finds Will in Castle Byers, and Eleven tells him to hold on. Just then, the walls blow away, and Eleven is left alone in the dark. Because the monster finds Will at the end of the episode... Does it blow away because the monster has involved itself that followed L to track down Will? I'm not really quite sure the, the specifics here uh, or, or what or the rules of the upside down really or the relationship between this black void that, that L can enter and, and the upside down. Uh, with the Kotet form, they split up again. Which is too bad. You know, if I was going to complain about anything, this is what I would complain about. I understand that each group needs to finish their own storylines. Um, but I was so excited uh, at the merging of these groups that it's a real missed opportunity uh, to continue watching them bounce off of each other. Hop and Joyce break into the lab. Again. Unlike last time... Um, they're ready, you know, the, the Hawkins Power Lab people are ready, and uh, Hopper is quickly surrounded by the lights and guns. Um, Nancy and Jonathan sneak into the police station to get their stuff, and for the first time, we see Will's perspective in the Upside Down as he hides in Castle Byers. But he's hiding no longer as the monster comes a-calling. So... That's where we are, and we are poised to head into the final hour of this show, and I remember watching this in July, and, you know, just being on the edge of my seat, and I couldn't wait, and not wanting to continue, because just the show had its hooks in me, and so here we are, guys, and we're about to finish this show together with, with episode eight, which I will be recording, keep my fingers crossed, right now, you know, barking dogs, and notwithstanding I, I the, the kid is asleep and um let's see it's been a half an hour of recording so i think that i have another half an hour uh, before she wakes up so i think they'll be able to get this done so for those of you who have been uh, eagerly anticipating my conclusion to stranger things um and my review of Stranger Things, I, I think that uh, you'll be getting back-to-back -back episodes of Episode 7 and, and Episode 8. So, everyone, uh, thank you for bearing with me this half an hour. Um, sorry that it took so long. And so looking ahead, uh, it, is, it is the end of September. And uh, the end of this week, we'll, we'll see us... Uh, say goodbye to September, say hello to October, and for those of you who have been listening over the last couple months, you know that I have been saying that I will be reviewing Jonathan Maberry's Pine Deep trilogy. So, what had once been a guarantee is now a question mark. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I, I had finished reading um, Ghost Road Blues in the spring. And I had an entire summer to read uh, Dead Man's Song and Bad Moon Rising. 
and I got caught up with other things and just life and I was sure I would get them all done by the time September hit. Well, it's September and I'm halfway through Dead Man's Song. I think she's awake. She's awake. So my, my point is I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish them by the time Halloween hits. I'm going to try desperately. But uh, for those of you who uh, were really looking forward to it, I'm going to try my best, but it's no longer a guarantee. So, guys, um, I'm going to attend to my, uh, my crying child, and hopefully I will have some time later today to record episode 8. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, if you have not done so, feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com and head on over to iTunes to leave a review. And uh, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen Kingcast. Thank you.